Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I wonder if you um, have a Bible, if you turn to John's Gospel. If you're not used to the Bible, uh, you'll find John's Gospel about three quarters of the way through your Bible, if you're turning right. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's in the uh, section that we call the New Testament. And uh, in John's Gospel, John is kind of, I guess he's the most scholarly, or he would certainly purport to be the most scholarly of the Gospel writers. And so, There are some interesting and sometimes enigmatic concepts that John is helping us with regarding the person of Jesus and who Jesus is. So I want to teach from John chapter 1, which may be a very familiar passage of scripture to to a number of you, but we're we're in the middle of a series that we've called Watch Your Mouth, where we're taking a look at the words that come out of our mouths. So it was Easter, Good Friday, and uh, the Martin household had gathered after a Good Friday service that we have here. And we did what we often do around the table. We ask questions, you know, so we say, you know, uh, usually it's, you know, what's your highs and what's your lows? And we pray into the highs and lows and we, you know, and every now and again, I just like to mix it up. So I was preaching, I was really just trying to check out whether any of the girls had been listening to anything I had said as I was speaking. So I, I said, so... And we had a guest there, so it was a little bit awkward. And, and I said, hey, um, I talked about some things needing to die so something can come alive. So girls, what needs to die in your life so you can fully live? <laughs> they just looked at me like, oh, you're so weird. Why are we doing this? And they, they looked and they, they got to get awkward for a moment. And then one after another, they started to answer pretty profound answers. And they were great answers until one of my daughters, who will definitely remain nameless, pauses, says nothing, looks a little bit sheepish, and says, Do you know, I think that probably the judgment in my life that always comes out of my life. I'm always judging everybody and I can be a real, and then she said a word that I won't mention, uh, and all the girls at once said, yes! (laughs) (laughs) And they might have been right at that moment. Do you know, here's the thing, the things that come out of our mouths have incredible power, don't they? I mean, we talked last week about the power they have to lift or limit you or other people. The things that have been said over you and the things that you say over other people. And perhaps even more importantly, the things you say about yourself have power to damage or to propel people into life. And so as we were, I don't know what what you felt after last week's sermon, but as I was trying to reflect on some of the things that I was saying, I know there's some stuff in my life that comes out of my mouth that is really unhelpful. So I wonder if we'll do something that we don't often do before we even start teaching around the Word of God. We'll just have a moment of confession, which basically just means we we get quiet before God 
And we recognize that he is the one who sees our hearts and knows our motives and knows our innermost thoughts. And he's been there and he's seen and he knows already. But we just get an opportunity to be before God who we know is the perfect forgiver and get real with him and he gets the opportunity to get forgiving with us. That's what it means. So let's just be quiet for a moment and I'm going to lead you. So Father, we come as your children with all our stuff. It's all exposed before you anyway. And we come in a moment of confession just to say we have sinned, we have fallen short of our standards, let alone yours. And just in these moments, ask him to help you recall the things you have said and done that have dishonored him and dishonored you and others. Father, we thank you that you're the perfect forgiver that your forgiveness is perfect, that it's total and it's complete and there is nothing in our lives, nothing out of our mouths that you cannot and will not forgive. And so we bring our junk, our garbage, our motives, our hearts, our words and we come fully expecting your total forgiveness. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you make us clean? And would you change our hearts? Father, for the things that we should have said that we did not say, we ask your forgiveness. For the things that we have said that have damaged others, we ask for your forgiveness. And we claim the promise that if we repent, you will forgive us and transform us. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Wow. Heavy off the bat. John chapter 1. And the premise is this. God speaks which is huge. We have a God who made all things, who holds all things, who, who is in the business of restoring all things, and he speaks. Why? Because he is passionately interested in our lives. He's interested in us dynamically. He's, in, he's loving o- over us. He's, he's caring for us. And so he has spoken, he is speaking, and he will speak. That's, an, that's a huge thing. Uh, but, but it's also this series predicated on the, the understanding that you and I get to speak. And that's a massive thing as well. We get to speak as opposed to any other creature on this planet. We get to communicate our heart, our emotions, our plans, who we are to other people and to God. It's huge that we get to speak. And we've said that these two things are significantly connected. God speaks. We're created in his image. We speak. So how we speak and what we say is important. 
Someone's speaking over there. How we speak and what we say is really important. That we're supposed to speak like God with his heart and his character, that we're supposed to have the same influence that God has in the way he creates things and he makes a difference in this world. Now this is hard, because I don't know about you, but I am predisposed to speak badly. I know some of you are much more godly, but I I am. I I, I can speak very destructively. I, I can speak critically. I can speak cynically. I can speak to tear people down. I can speak to undermine people. I can speak to blame people. We, we, can, all, we can all do that, can't we? I don't think there's anyone here that, that, that is always perfect with what they say. And I mean, just check out the, the election at the moment. I don't think there's one politician that, that is blameless in the way in which they speak about other people, in the way in which they use their words to undermine people and not just speak life over people. What you say matters. It matters to you and it matters to other people and it matters to God. And so all I want to do today, and, and it's a very simple task, if a little bit enigmatic, I want to interrupt a very practical series to ask a pretty foundational question. When God speaks, what does he say? When God speaks, what does he sound like? When God speaks, if if we're supposed to speak in the way that God speaks, what does God sound like? And what does God say? You see, in this passage of scripture in John chapter one, God speaks. And in essence, as we begin to unpack it, we're going to recognize that this is his definitive word. That there's something that God has said in this world and in this universe for all time that is definitive and ultimate. It's his last word, it's his first word, and it's his best word. And if you and I are going to speak in a way that reflects the image of God in us, in a way that reflects the way in which he speaks, we've got to get this. See, when God speaks... He says Jesus. That's what he says. When God speaks, when the climax of God's creative speaking word is Jesus. And we think because we've hung around church a bit, that's a bit cheesy. Could you not come up with something better than that? And, uh, and so let's just read together and see what God has to say. The Apostle John writes, and we usually read this at Christmas, but let's pretend But that's not the case. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we invite you in this most profound of passages of Scripture to reveal the living word to us. And even in a passage that's familiar, would we discover new thoughts that help us understand what it means to embrace this word and to speak this word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the word of God is Jesus. And the word of God that's Jesus has the capacity to change absolutely everything for you today. The word is Jesus. I grew up in church. My dad was the pastor. And we used to do these things called children's talks. Do you remember? Back in the day when someone would come up and there would be a puppet or something and someone would do a children's talk. And I was the keenest guy in the church at an age about seven. And my dad would always, or whoever was doing it, would ask the question. The answer was always Jesus. It wasn't difficult. You know, I've, I'm thinking this, or smelling this, or tasting this, or looking like this. What does this mean? Oh, you know, I was there. I was always me. I was standing there. And my dad would just totally ignore me because it was always embarrassing. And I was always the keeny, and he was trying to involve everybody else. But ultimately, I would answer, the answer's Jesus. No, Carl, the answer's sin. You know, because you just kind of know that the answer was always Jesus. And the reality is this. The word is Jesus. John writes, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he's talking about Jesus and he calls him the word. In, in the Greek, the word is logos. It's interesting to note that he's not calling him the deed. If he was the deed... It would have been a one-moment deal, relevant for then but not for now, but he's the word. It's interesting that he doesn't call him the thought. See, the, 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 thought, the thought could be positive or passive or potential, but he's saying, no, he's the word. He's actual and he's actualized. It's interesting he doesn't call him the feeling because the feeling become, could, could, can be very, very enigmatic. No, he says he's concrete and he's experienced. Jesus is the word. And you and I go, mm. It's all a bit philosophical. But the people understanding and reading this in the first place would have understood exactly what was being said. The Greeks understood this word, logos, as being uh, the, 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 the ordering and the shaping and directing principle in the universe. It was the thing that creates everything and, and, and everything gets filtered through this. 
And the Hebrews, who were perhaps more artistic, they understood the logos as being the creative power and redeeming action in the universe. The word can change everything. In Jesus, God is getting expressive. He's kind of outing himself. He's revealing his ultimate order and shape. And he's expressing his creativity and he's revealing his plan to redeem all things. Jesus is the word. He's the first word. He's from the beginning word. He's the ultimate word. So why does God speak in this way? And why did he bother? Why did he bother to send Jesus? Why did he bother to inspire John to say, he's the word, he's the, he's the ordering, he's the centering, he's the creative power? Why did he bother? Well, John is very clear here. He says this, because he wants people to really know him. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God wants you to know what he's like. That's why he sends Jesus. But that's why he sends Jesus to be the word. He wants people to really know him. Everybody, not just the religious people who already got some kind of concept of, of what he's like. He wants everybody to know him. You know, one of the most amazing things about Jesus was that he was a highly spiritual man, but he didn't hang around much with the religious people. In fact, they didn't particularly get on with him. They were embarrassed by him or intimidated by him. But it was for the common people, the, the unreligious people, the unrighteous people who loved him, who couldn't get enough of him, who wanted to hang out with him. Isn't it interesting that the opposite seems to be the case these days? Jesus is the word. He came to his own, but his own didn't recognize him. But to those who received him, anybody, he gave the right to become children of God. He put on skin and he moved into the neighborhood to flesh out God for us. God is speaking. That's what we're being told. God is speaking. The God who created the universe, the God who spoke all this stuff into being is speaking and his word is Jesus. This is what I'm like. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. No one has ever seen God. But this is God. And this is really important. In, in one massive statement, God explodes the myth that he is somehow distant and detached and removed. Because he put on skin. And he moved in. And in one incredible lifetime, God explodes the myth that he is uncaring and unconcerned because he lived amongst us and he included the excluded and he cared for the sick and he healed them and he taught the lost and he brought them into the kingdom. And in one unprecedented moment, God explodes the myth that he is unmerciful and he's unpleasable as he hangs on the cross for the rebellion and the sin of the world. He says, this is what I'm like. Whatever you've heard about me, whatever the press is about me, this is what I'm like in my compassion and my truth and my mercy and my grace. This is my word for this world. Jesus. Why does he speak? Well, John says because he wants people to really live. 
He doesn't want people to half live or to pretend to live. In him was life. And that life was the light of humanity. Do you know, it's possible to be alive and not live. Have you noticed that? In fact, not only is it possible, but it seems to be normal. Half lives. You know, people future limited, restricted and bound and believing the stuff that they've had spoken over them and having this glass ceiling and saying, I can't amount to this and I'll never be that. It's not going to shame ridden, superficial life with limited material ambitions. You know, if I get the house and the car and the, the TV set and my kids can go to the right school, then I'm done. That's good. I'm okay. No, 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 no. That's not life. It masquerades as life, but it's not life. You can be alive and never really live. And, and you know, I know that. One of the most famous Scots, Mel Gibson, said, in brave, <laughs> in, in, in brave heart, apparently attributed to William Wallace, although I'm pretty sure he never said this, every man dies in, a, in an Australian accent, but not every man truly lives. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Listen, the crux of the issue surrounding whether you truly live is what is going to be the focal point of your life? What is going to be the ordering principle in your universe? What's going to be the creative power in and around your family? That's the crucial point as to whether you live or whether you half live. What's going to be the plumb line? What's going to be the focal point? I totally love interior design, surprisingly. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I, you know, honestly, I often say, I'm not sure it's actually true, but I often say, you know, if I wasn't doing this job, I'd be sorting out people's houses. I absolutely love it. You know, I love the shades. I love the textures. I love the, 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 the whole thing. Nikki is telling me these days I've got to stop being so camp when I preach, so I'm being very careful. I've got, I've got to be, you know, but I absolutely love it. Now, hear correctly. When I say I love interior design, I am not saying DIY. I have a deal with power tools. If I leave them alone, they'll leave me alone. It's not, no problem. So what I mean is magazines. What I mean is, is you know, escape to the country. What I mean is all those te- you know, grand designs. I love all that kind of stuff. I love walking around houses going, mm. you know, but, and what I have learned, mm, what, <laughs> what I have learned from interior design is this, is that every room, every space needs a focal point. Every space, whether it's, a, whether it's the TV, which it never should be, or it's the fireplace, or it's a, a significant piece of furniture, or it's the rug put in the right place, or it's the floor, whatever it is, it needs a focal point because your eye is drawn to that. And I think it's not crass to say that that's what the Apostle John is trying to say. Your decision to place Jesus Christ, the Word of God, as the focal point of your life is more than just a religious preference. It will be the deciding factor in whether you actually ever live. That's what it's all about. It'll be the deciding factor in whether you actually ever live. See, in him was life. In him is life. He's God. He's up to stuff. He's active. He's personal. He loves you. He's relational. And he has a plan for your life. And where you place him, and whether he's the filter... And whether he's the plumb line, whether he's the rock, whether he's the security, 
This word is life. And it's that important. So, what in the world does that have to do with the instrument, my tongue, that is the primary connection for me with this world? What in the world does all that stuff, it's great stuff, it's interesting, it'll preach, but what in the world does that have to do with the way in which I speak? I want you to flick, if you have your Bible open, to the end of John's Gospel, and John chapter 20. So at the beginning of John's Gospel, we read, um, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, God is outing himself, he's saying what he's all about. John chapter 20. And verse 21. And so those of you who've hung around church will know the interval bit, but I'm going to give it you in in 20 seconds. What's happened is that Jesus is outing God to us, and he's calling people to himself, and he's forgiving people, and he's healing people. He's saying, this is what God looks like. And then he's calling people to himself. He's calling his disciples. He's saying, I want you to understand what it means to walk with God. I want you to understand what it means to be free. I want you to see salvation and what that really is all about. And then I'm going to hand the whole thing on to you because I'm about building a community community of people. I want you to know God. And in John chapter 20, he commissions them. He sends them out. And he says very interesting things. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How was he sent? Well, he was sent to be the Logos, the Word. He was sent to embody and to communicate the Word of God. He was sent to help people understand what God looks like and to lead people into life. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Embody the word, speak the word. Help people know God and have life. It's very, very interesting to me that the first instruction after that incredible commission is this. Verse 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. In other words, the first instruction is an action that has a speaking element to it. I want you to communicate something of the heart and the passion and the orientation of God to other people. I want you to forgive them. You embody this stuff. It's on you now. In other words, if this just doesn't get too heretical, if he is the word, you're also the word. That's huge, isn't it? If he is the word, if he is the ordering principle in the universe, and you've just been given the whole deal, his authority, his anointing, his power, his commission, you are to represent me in this world. I'm going, you get the Holy Spirit, off you go. You get to be and carry word. So what you say and how you embody what you say is not just theoretically important, it suddenly becomes really, really important to God and how you represent him in this world. You're the word. You carry the word if you know Jesus. So here's my final enigmatic question. If, if I'm to speak Jesus and Jesus is to speak through me, What is the sound that Jesus makes? I think this is really important because there are a lot of people out there who are purporting to speak for Jesus. 
in Jesus' style. But I want just as we close today to, to hang out here just for a moment. What sound does Jesus make? And you're going to have to stay with me for a bit and see if this works at the end. All right? The sound that Jesus makes is light. We're told here that Jesus is, in John chapter 1, that Jesus is true light. The true light that is coming into the world. The word true is the word alethanos in the Greek. Which doesn't actually mean true as opposed to false, but true as opposed to partial. In other words, he's the full light. In other words, there is supposed to be an integrity and a depth and a passion and an all-in commitment to speaking Jesus. I mean, this is not supposed to be a partial thing that you do once on a Sunday and occasionally if you have to or if you feel guilty because someone told you to do it. Actually, Jesus is supposed to out of us in a passionate way because he's the real deal, because he's the word of God and we get to carry the word of God. Speak Jesus, but not in a disinterested way. As, he, as if he's some kind of wise addition to an already comfortable life. You know, I've got, I've got the family and I've got the, the, the job and I've got the car and I've got the li- and, and, and I've got Jesus as well. No, 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 that's not what's supposed to happen. He is supposed to fill your life. Speak of him as he is the heart and the answer and the goal. Speak of him as if everything else outside of him is darkness, but he is light. If everything else outside of him is sick, but he is the doctor. That we are lost, but he is the way. Speak with passion and creativity and and conviction. I I, kind of think that we've become so obsessed with blending into our society that we've forgotten that the primary word is Jesus. That however it, however it sells and however we, 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 we put it, however we market it, the primary word is Jesus. And I think we've made that really cheesy. But actually, his word is life. And it's light. And it's joy. And it's not partial. I, I think sometimes we've, we, we've lived as if, as, as if partial Jesus is the way in which we want to go in this world. And we've forgotten that we can't get light and we can't get life any other way. The sound of Jesus is light. And the sound of Jesus is grace. He came full of grace and truth. Grace is a word that we sing about a lot, but I don't think we always understand. Grace means God's unmerited favor in your direction. Grace means you get what you don't deserve. Grace is God's free gift of love to you, free gift of forgiveness to you, free gift of restoration to you. That's what Jesus expressed sounds like. It sounds like grace. It never sounds like anything other than grace. It sounds like good news. You know, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and, and I think when I look at the church, that we've become absolutely world experts at making good news sound like bad news. Sound like really hard news and difficult news and pretty miserable news at times and sometimes condemnatory news. 
And the result is that we live amongst a generation that is running away from the God who isn't, if that makes any sense at all. We live amongst a generation who is running away from the God that they've heard articulated by the people of God who are supposed to be the word of God. And they're saying, I don't want to follow a God who is condemnatory like that. I don't want to follow a God who's full of rules and regulations. I don't want to follow a God who's interested in me not having life. I want to follow a God who's full of life. I want to follow a God who has some patterns for my life that make sense. And we've stuck two fingers up at the God who isn't and run away from him. We find ourselves lost. Guys, if you've, if you've embraced or heard or even spoken a message about Jesus that is not grace and light, it's not Jesus. It just isn't. And if you've heard a message about Jesus that isn't full of grace and life, purporting to be from the people of Jesus, I have to say I'm really sorry. Because that's not Jesus. Jesus is full of grace. What is um, the sound of Jesus? Well, it's truth. He came full of grace and truth. I, I totally buy the concept that truth is relative until you meet Jesus. Because he's the source of wisdom and the epitome of integrity, and his truth is simple. And we've made it very complicated. We've used words that are hard to understand and concepts that are confusing. But the truth is this, that God loves you. That he is not only the CEO of the universe, he is also the father of all things. Truth. And he has a plan that is personal. A plan to bless you and give you a future that is better than the plan that you have for yourself, truth. And that hell is real in all eternity and on this earth. Check out your TV. Truth. And that God has a plan to rescue and to save. It's Jesus. You. Truth. And God has a plan that's not just salvation, it's restoration. That you can be the best you that he made you to be. That you can actually fly. That you can run with the dreams that God has placed in your heart. Truth. The word is Jesus. The truth is in his name. His name means he will save their people, his people from their sins. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, which means he has all authority and all power, and you can trust him. He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which means he has all humility, and he's taken all of his power, and he's sacrificed it so that you can live. He's called the Alpha and the Omega. It means that there was nothing before him. He started all things. He's the first word of God, and there will be nothing after him. He will roll all things up together. He never ends. He's the last word of God. He's God's answer. So speak Jesus to yourself and to others. Seriously, God, don't, don't leave people guessing why you love them. Don't, don't leave people guessing why you're helping them. Don't leave people guessing 
while you're interested. Don't, don't leave people guessing how to find a way in life. It's not just interesting wisdom. This is Jesus. He's the word of God. Do you have a life that looks like light? Do I have a life that looks like truth? Do I have a life, do you have a life that exudes grace? You see, Jesus' word isn't a disembodied word. It's not kind of a big megaphone up in the clouds going, this is my truth, have some grace. It's embodied, put on flesh. Do you carry logos? Because it changes everything. The way you speak, the way you use your resources, the way you bring up your kids, the way you're a good friend, the way you impact Edinburgh. It's Jesus. We haven't got anything else but Jesus, and He is everything. See, there is coming a time when there will be only one word. Stay with me. There is coming a time when there will be one word. The writer to the church in Philippi called Paul, he says this, and talking about Jesus. He says, there's coming a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, everybody on this planet is going to recognize God came. And everybody on this planet is going to understand that he's incredible and he has a plan. He's the ordering principle in the universe. Everyone's going to get it. And everybody is going to confess with their mouth, Jesus. Jesus. There'll be one word. And it won't be cheesy. And it won't be embarrassing. And we won't be tempted to blend in. Because he is the answer and he's the truth. So let's speak Jesus. We don't have anything else. Let's pray together. And once again, um, once again, I pray a wheat and chaff prayer. That which was not Jesus, nor his grace, nor his truth, nor his life, nor his light, not for us. Just blow it away on the wind, Holy Spirit so that it doesn't impact our life in a way that is negative. But that which was of your heart for us, sink it deep so that it changes stuff. And I pray an emboldening for each one of us of our lives. I pray that for each one of us in the room of our lives we would replace the current focal point with Jesus. And for some of us here today who have run away from Jesus and rejected Jesus because the Jesus that we'd heard was harsh or hard or angry 
or against us. Just in these moments, I pray that you would return to the Jesus who is God's word, God's truth and God's life. So Holy Spirit, would you come and just mediate your word to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to worship Jesus. And um, as we do so, can I encourage you in your heart just to respond. I have no right to tell you what your response should be. It's between you and God. If you'd love someone to pray for you, whichever camp you're in, you know, whether you've followed Jesus all your life or you've just come for the first time today and you're saying, all right, if this Jesus is this good, I really want to know him. Um, if you'd love someone to pray for you, then our prayer team will be to my right and to your left, and they would love to do so. If you just want to stay quiet and remain seated and think through what God's saying to you, if you want to stand up, raise your hands in the air, kneel on the floor, whatever it is, it's, it's between you and Jesus, but he is here and he changes everything. So just let him minister to you. Let's stand together. Let's worship.